0: From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind, your mind. welcome to From the Void. Welcome back to From the Void for part two of our two-part series on Amelia Earhart with author and podcast host Chris Williamson. If you missed part one, hit pause and go back to listen to the first part first. If you've already heard part one, then you are in the right place. Without further ado, here's the second half of my interview with Chris Williamson on the disappearance of Amelia Earhart.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm sorry. These answers are super, super long and I'm sorry. No, this is great. Um, This is good stuff. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to cram 85 years into like an hour conversation. So (laughs) I'm trying to give you guys as much verbal diarrhea as I can uh, for your listenership to go in there and maybe they want to do their own research and No, this is great. And, and,
0: and for way more detail, you know, I recommend everybody go check out, uh, your podcast, uh, vanished and, uh, um, check out like, cause you guys go way more into depth and, and tell way more of the historical background. It is absolutely fascinating. So obviously we can't get nearly into
1: detail here, (laughs) but, um, it's, it's fascinating, but also maybe sad a little bit too. Like we go into it and it's (laughs) like, there's a, we go through an awful lot. If you like really just disgustingly horrible long dives on like really a lot of the historical detail and why stuff matters and why it applies to rule law and stuff. You'll love our show. You'll eat up every second of our show. Um, I realize, I realize it's not for everybody, but we're, you know, it's one of those shows that really, we take serious deep dives and, uh, we're very proud of that. So, Yeah. It's a lot yeah,
0: as, as, as a history nerd myself, I appreciate the the thoroughness of, of, uh, you know, to, the, the great links you went to, to research and, uh, you know, just, it, it lends to the credibility of your show. So I, I appreciate uh, well, it from my perspective. Thank you. So, yeah. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. So, so, so far, like, all right, so those, those are the facts as we have them, we, the, the last moments we have uh, on record. Yeah. So obviously, you know, there's probably a search and rescue that takes place shortly after this. And, and my first thought, as you are talking about the signal strength and the fact that they, they could hear her at least, mm-hmm. um, my first thought is, okay, so what is the reach of communications in those days? Cause at least that gives you sort of a general idea of where she may have been. Yeah. Um, you think so? Like, so? what? Yeah. So what what what's the first move here? What do they do when they realize that she's she's not coming through the cloud? She's not landing.
1: Yeah. They they all go to Howland. Uh, basically, they all come to them. They know they're listening to what Earhart said. At this point, they've got the call logs. You know, everything starts unfolding pretty quickly. Uh, it gets to, uh, once once it hits the press, there's no containing it. She's lost in the middle of the Pacific. You know, there's so many famous headlines. If you Google search Amelia Earhart newspapers, it's fascinating. Some of the stuff. That you'll find, and it's all over the world, right? So there's no containing it. She's out there somewhere, her and Noonan, and they don't know what happened to them. Their best guess is basically what I just told you: under 200 miles in and around that area, theory abounds almost immediately uh, after uh, after really the, the search ends, and it doesn't turn up anything. They're, they're they're spending millions of dollars in the middle of the Great Depression every day to search for her. And uh, the search, you know, the search eventually gets called off because they don't find there's no oil slick. There's no wreckage. There's nothing on the water. Obviously, they're not going to be able to search, you know, 18,000 feet below the surface of the ocean at that point at that time. And so they start as as a precaution. They start searching a lot of islands in the area. They start searching not just that exact spot, but they try to cast as wide a net as they can. And individual searches continue. After that, George Putnam did not give up for quite some time after that. He kept searching, and that gets really interesting as far as some of the stuff he was considering as far as some of the outcomes uh, of what may have happened to his wife. But yeah, they basically search for a a short uh, but intense amount of time, and they call off the search with no results, obviously. And she's declared dead in absentia on January the 5th, 1939. Uh, she disappears on July 2nd, 1937, just shy of her 39th birthday or 40th birthday. Maybe I'm not sure now it's all starting to meld together, but around that <laughs> time. And then she's declared dead in absentia on January 5th of 39. And um, that's when we kicked off the show uh, January 5th, um, uh, a couple of years ago. And then we ended it on January 5th. So I'm big on anniversary dates. It's, it's a big deal to me. But yeah, she was searched. Intensely for uh, and as you can imagine now, she's still being searched intensely for. There are multiple active investigations right now on behind the scenes on Amelia Earhart and all different parts of the world, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because it feels like every few years or so there's a TV show or or something that pops up that claims Mm -hmm. that maybe we found some evidence and maybe it's suggesting that such and such happens. So in in your research and in your opinion, what are the most probable uh, theories behind what happened?
1: Oh man, that's a loaded question, man. <laughs> uh, that's a very loaded question. So y- you're asking really a. a- someone who's I try to stay as general as I can on this. I have things that I like about every one of the theories I'm about to lay out. So let me just preface that for all the Earhart people that might latch onto (laughs) this and hear this. I I swear um, I like all of them. Um, But let's start with theory number one, which we've kind of already talked about. That's something called crash and sink or ditch and sink. There's variations of it. Essentially they That theory adheres to the official story of the United States government, that she, the Electra, uh, really a plane that's 39 and a half foot long and 55 foot wingspan lies somewhere around 18,000 feet below the surface of the water in an area roughly the size of Texas. So that's what you're looking for. That's what you're dealing with. Okay, Uh, the Titanic, you know, what, 800 feet or 900 feet or something in comparison. So that's what you're looking at. And they believe that, that she's there. An awful lot of scientific and mathematical and uh, celestial navigation work has gone into uh, that theory. It's very technical. Uh, they've, a lot of people have taken a lot of different shots at the ocean in areas that they feel the plane should be in or they theorize the plane should be in. Everyone struck out. So these are the best of the best, too. These aren't like slouches. These are the smartest people in the world that are taking these shots, uh, these educated guesses based off of a lot of work. And so far, nobody's turned up anything. That's Crash and Sink. Okay, now that puts her, uh, the way I like to do this is, is really by a geographical location and how far away from ground zero she is. And we're going to call Howland Island ground zero because that's where she was supposed to go. According to the U.S. government, according to the story, right. So that's theory one. Uh, theory two takes her about 400 ish miles away from that point to a little island called Nikumaroro, and it's that's an island that's widely uh, been searched. It's uh, known as it's known as the Castaway Theory, the idea that. Uh, behind this is that ha- not being able to find a Howland, uh, you know, they head north. They head to Nicomororo, and they sort of stumble upon it. And there is this atoll on Nicomororo that they feel comfortable, or at least Earhart feels comfortable enough with uh, landing on. And she lands successfully. We think it's probably a rough landing, and uh, but she lands. It's not a crash or anything like that, and she's able to successfully, depending on who you talk to, send out radio distress calls over the course of the next several days uh, in accordance with high tide and low tide at Nicomororo. Now, the only way she can do that is when the, uh, the engines that run the radio and run the plane are not underwater. So obviously at high tide, the calls stop. At low tide, they begin again. And we have this coordination that happens over the course of several days. A lot of people pick it up. They've also combed that island. We could go on for the entire rest of the show about this. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. They found bones there. They found a campsite there. So I'm, I'm making this sound very, very positive. And it is because they put a lot of work into it. But I will also tell you that that was a highly trafficked island. And it was searched over uh, and it was covered. And they've had 13 or 14 expeditions to that island for the last 30 plus years. And they've got a lot of great circumstantial evidence, but they haven't turned up anything concrete. Again, according to who you talk to, some people believe that is it and that they've proved it beyond a reasonable doubt. We happen to take the opinion that and will not so fast um, on that. And that's Castaway. That's the idea. Now, I, again, that's a very big oversimplification of, of a lot of these theories. But this will get you guys started for listeners that want to sort of go down the rabbit hole and, and pick a theory uh, and start seeing – more of what I'm talking about. So that's theory number two. And we got two more, three more at least. Okay.
0: What's interesting about that one too is, is you mentioned that it's a highly trafficked area, which, which would lead you to believe that at some point, if they were able to survive long enough, that somebody is going to come and rescue them, right? Like, that they're not yeah. just going to stay put.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's an excellent point. You know, they set, the, like Jen says in the show, set those trees on fire or something. If I'm Earhart, yeah. we, we don't know what happened to Noonan in this instance. It's speculated that Noonan might have had uh, a fatal head injury that he suffered on landing and maybe never made it out of the plane. You know, Earhart is like a hundred and just over a hundred pounds wet, you know, I mean, it's, it's, she's probably not going to drag Noonan out of a plane if she has to, I don't know what the scenario would have been, but yeah, the idea that she died alone on that Island, uh, you know, probably by herself for, you know, days, weeks, months, we don't know. That's a pretty horrible way to have to die. Um, and you know, to frantically send out distress calls, if they just, it was a matter of them not being able to see her or not arriving at the right time or in enough time you know it, all that speculation but yeah it's you know I, you would imagine that somebody would like you know somebody would pop over that island at some point but maybe she was just you know they just missed each other it's very possible yeah oh gosh all right yeah. so what's theory number 3 all right so theory <laughs> you're really giving me a workout today uh so this so theory number <laughs> theory number 3 is probably the biggest theory of all of them when it comes to just sheer size and just sheer data And that is uh, something known as the Japanese capture hypothesis or theory. Uh, And this is, this is one that, you know, it, it goes every which way you can possibly think if you've thought it can go there, it probably has gone there at some point. It's the most fantastical of all of them. It kind of reads and runs like a Hollywood movie. And it, it actually was at one point, uh, was it Rosalind Russell? And, uh, was it flight, not flight of the Phoenix? Um, Oh, I'll have to look it up, but there was a, there was a movie about it that there's rumor that George Putnam ghost wrote it and all this crazy stuff. And, you know, so it, you just take that how you, how you'd like, but essentially in a nutshell, the idea is that Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan happened upon the Gilberts and the Marshall islands. Uh, and they, this puts them now about 800 miles away from ground zero. So again, you know, could she have made it there? We have, there's a lot of reports that say she could have made it there on that plane, on that flight with that fuel. And there's of course, a lot of people that say that she couldn't. So the idea here, just for sake of going with the, the theory is that she happens upon the Japanese that she gets into custody and, uh, it's either, she's either shot down or she has to put the plane down and they grab her shortly after that. Uh, there are, What really leads a lot of weight to this particular theory is there are over 200 different eyewitness accounts throughout Saipan on the Marshall Islands uh, of people that came into contact with Amelia Earhart, Fred Noonan, or their Lockheed Electra, or a combination of those three. So... You have eyewitness testimony all the way from local Marshallese and local locals there that were on site at the time that saw her come down or witnessed them, you know, parading her out or taking her into custody or whatever. And you have that going all the way to post World War Two and post, um, you know, post war military that was stationed in that area that came in contact with you know, uh, different items supposedly that may have belonged to Amelia Earhart. And then you, that goes all the way up to Admiral Chester Nimitz, who was, I mean, he's got an entire fleet of ships named after him right now. So, I mean, it goes up to the highest branches of the U S government and the idea that she was caught, captured and kept for a certain amount of time and either died in Japanese custody, or it ties into a really another, another really fun sort of little alleyway, um, in a little bit with another theory, but the idea is that she's caught, captured, and and kept for a certain amount of time, and she either dies of dysentery in a jail cell alone, uh, or she gets executed and she gets kicked into a shallow grave somewhere, and her remains and Noonan's remains, for that matter, is somewhere in the Marshall Islands uh, or Saipan. And again, it's kind of like the ocean site, right? They've there's different people who have gone out there and taken different cracks at different spots that they feel that okay, if we dig down, we're gonna this, there's a good chance we're gonna find remains or something, and depending on who you talk to. And we got some stuff coming out right now with some of the people that were involved in those investigations. Uh, they either found nothing uh, or they found something that, you know, they maybe confirmation bias might tie it to their theory uh, or it might be legitimate. So we're kind of unfolding all that as we speak. So again, very oversimplified, massively oversimplified, uh, but that's Japanese capture in a nutshell. And um, that lies a lot that a lot of that really leans heavily into eyewitness testimony. If you, if you look at sort of a lot of this theory uh, and a lot of these different, different ways you can go, it's different types of testimony that are propping them up. Crash and sink is official government story and it's got those call logs, right? So you got some physical information. Uh, castaways got a lot of circumstantial, uh, you know, information people get put away for murder on circumstantial, uh, you know, information all the time. And then you got Japanese capture. It leans heavily on eyewitness testimony. That's another area of, of defense or, you know, proving a case. So it's interesting how all these different things, you know, uh, sort of tie into overall, uh, you know, presentation, and that's kind of where the show came in. Is is if you're sitting in a jury box and you're listening to me talk about all this, and you're listening to all these experts talk about all this, can I sell you on the idea that she was in custody of the Japanese, or can I sell you on the idea that she crashed at sank, uh, or that she was a castaway? Um, that's what the show's all about.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about that last theory too is that over the years, there. I mean, I remember years back where allegedly there was a photograph of the back Mm -hmm. of I I think (laughs) uh Amelia sitting on a pier or something and Fred Noonan's off to the side and and um I I think that was later uh, very quickly after that as after it was scrutinized debunked um yeah but you think that all those witnesses that there would be
1: some sort of like um more concrete evidence this case has an evidence problem absolutely I'm working through D.B. Cooper right now for the for my second book that case has a massive evidence problem. That's partly why these cases are still unsolved, I believe. It's one of those ca- Japanese capture especially. There's so many incredible if they're true, but frustrating stories, you know in that in that particular theory. Uh, according to a lot of the witnesses and according to a lot of the people that came into contact with their heart in some way, shape or form or whatever, there were physical, artifacts that were in play one i'll mention and there's more and they're all in the book and in the show and and you can research them on your own of course but there's a briefcase that ties into amelia earhart that was discovered by a a gentleman by the name of robert wallach who was there in uh post-war and they were he came across the briefcase one day they were going through basically the ruins of a city that had been blown to shit basically. And they were going through and looking at all these different rooms and all these different buildings. And in one of the buildings was a safe and they actually happened to have a, a a demo expert with them. And so of course, you know, they do what anybody would do. They blow the hell out of that safe. They blow the doors off that safe and in that safe, is a briefcase. And wallet grabs a briefcase and he runs off and he's like I'm going to be a rich marine. It's going to be full of yen or it's going to be full of something that's really <laughs> going to be great and we're going to be set for life. Well, he gets to where he can open it. He opens it and he's looking through it and it's like Amelia Earhart's passports and her paperwork and all her like personal intimate information she would fly with, like her personal briefcase. And he looks at it and he's like what wait what's going on? What's all this? Like they told us she drowned in the ocean. This stuff's bone dry. What's going on here? And so he takes the briefcase and uh, I guess consults his buddies and they all tell him, you got to turn it in. You got to turn the briefcase in because that's the kind of men they were. They were honorable men and they it was spoils of war. Right. You're going to go through a process. So he goes and he finds an officer uh, that's on the beach somewhere there or somewhere local to them. And they they, tell, they can tell because they, they had like these they call them the scrambled eggs on the on the uh, on the hat. Right. So they knew they were officers. Right. And he tells him what he's got. Says, I've got this briefcase and it's look at it, look at this. It's like Amelia Earhart's paperwork. And the guy takes it, follows procedure, and he writes him a receipt. He actually writes him a receipt that says Amelia Earhart's paperwork and passports and everything in a briefcase. Like he tells him very clearly what it is. So Wallach takes a receipt, sticks it in his money belt that he has strapped to his person at all times. Well, later in battle or later down the line, he gets wounded. And it's a pretty bad wound. And in order for them to dress the wound, they have to cut away all of his stuff. And Wallach actually, while they're doing this, is saying, save the money belt, like save the money belt. Because he knows he's got this holy grail supposedly in there, right? Well, of course they don't save the money belt. So Uh it's gone. So now we have no idea that this briefcase ever existed. We have his story, which I tend to believe because... These guys had no reason to lie. He never became rich. He didn't sell his story. He told a story to a bunch of people. It was the same story every time. And he didn't have anything to gain by it other than just telling his story. And same thing with all the military and really all the locals for that matter. They always maintained, for the most part, everybody across the board maintained their stories. And so that's just one example of probably over a dozen, the Nicomaro bones and the whole saga with that and the mishandling of that was just, absolutely terrible and we don't have that either so you know out there there might exist some holy grails of of aviation so to go back all the way back to your point and again i'm, I'm so sorry for taking this long to know <laughs> <but>, you're fine <laughs> but to get back to your point les kinney finds this picture in the national archives and he doesn't think anything of it at first and he takes us it's only when he takes a second look at it and he calls his wife over and he says look at look at this and she goes holy shit that's that's <laughs> a mil- That's definitely Amelia Earhart. Like he's got he's not looking at like a digital. He's got his massive blow. I mean, he's got a really good version of it to look at. Obviously, he's got the original piece, right? So he's floored because he's been there's nobody on the face of the earth that knows more about Earhart than Les Kinney. He could stomp on me and, you know, I'm it's I'm nothing <laughs> compared to this guy. Right? He's a walking Earhart encyclopedia slash Bible slash dictionary slash whatever and so he's you know it's like it finds its way into the hands of like the right guy right to do this and they do this history channel thing and this debunker this this blogger comes out and supposedly debunks it and that throws a big wet blanket on everything and it's it's really hard and i felt really bad for less i really truly feel like that picture is very powerful and very compelling and he's he's done the work on that since then. And I I would never speak on his behalf, but I think, I think you'll, you haven't heard the last from, from him and from, from the idea that they were captured by the Japanese. It's there, it's dominant. And it's, it, you have to, again, it's, it's like the other, another one I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Uh But it's like, you have to deal with that at some point. You have to explain a lot of that away. And that's awfully hard to do. It's awfully compelling. So yeah, that's, that's japanese capture in a very ridiculous nutshell that's that's
0: a strong one though i feel like that's a strong one yeah so especially yeah. especially when you're talking about the just the the uh number of mm-hmm. of uh, potential witnesses it, it you know it's one thing to say oh one or two people think they may have seen uh you know th- the, these two individuals walking around And you know it's another thing to have you know, like I think you said, one to two hundred. You know, yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of potential witnesses. You know, and they can't all be <laughs> right. Wrong.
1: Right, absolutely. If if I kill you in the middle of two hundred people, or you kill me in the middle of two hundred people, th- that's that's the first. That's the question that launched the show. I reached out to Jen cold, and I just said, "Look, uh, discovered she was an attorney. We started talking offline, uh, and I started. I just asked her, like, look, hypothetically, if I'm a prosecutor." And I you're and I'm accusing your client of murdering somebody and I've got 200 eyewitnesses. Do you have a chance in hell at that? Is there it? Can you poke right. holes in that? How does that process work? Walk me through it. And that's really literally what birthed the entire show and everything we've done since then was that one question. So
0: that's amazing.
1: It's a compelling question. Uh, everybody would have very, uh, you know, dramatic answers to it. Likely they have their own, you know, thoughts and opinions on it. and. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one, but that's, you have to answer it.
0: Yeah you know so all right so, so so do you do you have a stronger one that you said you had another one do you have a stronger one than that that one's pretty <laughs> compelling i'm i'm feeling pretty good about that one
1: yeah they're all strong right it's uh it's it's like those um it's like those car like a, a forest from astonishing legends always says this and i stole it from him frankly but it's like he says oh it's like these people that <laughs> test new cars they get in this new car and like oh god this car's got everything it's the best car ever <laughs> and then they get the next car they test drive the next week and like oh this car's got everything it's the best car ever so it's like that it, that's you're going to experience that over and over uh the yeah. the next one is has got something so we've got eyewitness testimony we've got all that stuff uh the one thing we don't have right now is physical evidence we talked about how frustrating that is well the next one has not only a piece of physical evidence but actually has an aircraft tied to the end of the of the theory of the idea right and that's the buka hypothesis the buka theory the idea that she the turn around and go back theory or you know there's a lot of different ways it's been named but um, I will call it the buka hypothesis um of course out of respect for for Bill Snavely, who who founded it and ran with it. Uh, the theory is, and again, in a very, very big nutshell here, um, that, uh, th- the theory ties a lot into something called flight radius. Flight radius basically is how, how far can you get on a half a tank of gas? That's really what it is, right? He ties into the fuel, the time, the distance and all that stuff. And he tries to make his mathematical calculations fit. And so far it fits pretty nicely. it fits pretty tightly, uh, the idea is that, uh, Basically, as Bill explains it, roughly halfway through the flight from Lay to um, Howland Island lies Buka. Okay, it's this area. It's roughly the halfway point of the flight, and it's on an area that was never searched by anybody on the on the search we talked about earlier. So it's like in an area that's kind of outside. And he theorizes that they. Uh, faced unanticipated headwinds that burned a lot more fuel than anticipated. They were burning fuel at a rate that was higher than they could even have imagined. And because of that, they made an executive decision to turn around and try to land at the nearest runway. They had passed Buka. It wasn't that far back, but they could turn around and they could land safely and regroup, essentially. So, like, on the surface, it sounds like, oh, that's a logical thing a pilot might do in that situation. Well, they actually encounter some really bad weather over Buka, over that area. And we know that there's some speculation that they're, you know, the cl- it was pretty, uh, Leo Bellart said it was pretty cloudless above Howland Island where the Itasca was at. So I'm going to take Leo Bellart at his word. And he says, eh, some clouds, but nothing crazy over buka we know there was weather patterns so we know there was weather at that time and you know in those at those at that time period she was there so she encounters really rough weather and she actually ends up getting struck by lightning and it seems kind of a little crazy but it happens so the left engine gets struck by lightning and she falls out of the sky and the reason why she can't communicate with the Itasca is because she is actually on a nighttime frequency at buka and they're in a daytime frequency where they're at at Howland. So they're on different frequencies, okay? And she's not switching back and forth for some reason, and that frustrated the Itasca. But in this instance, again, if we're going with the theory, she gets struck by lightning. They fall out of the sky. There's actually a lone witness to this theory, and he happens to be a little boy at the time, okay? And he's standing on the beach at Buka, and this plane comes out of the heavens. And he thinks it's like the second coming of Christ. He's never seen anything <laughs> like this before, right? So he sees that. it fall out of the sky. It hits and he thinks he sees them fiddling with radios or doing something in the aircraft. But he's, he doesn't stick around long enough to find out. He takes off and runs back to the village and starts telling all of the elders, well, nobody believes him. They all call him a liar. So nobody goes out to investigate this. They don't know. Right. And this happens to be if we're looking at crash and sink at near Howland, you're looking at 18,000 feet. This is the exact opposite of that. This sits in less than 150 feet of water. So it's really low. But we'll get to kind of where the catch is in a minute. So she hits or she hits the water. They sink immediately. Apparently, they never make it out of the plane. We don't know that part of the story. Um, but years later, you fast forward to like the early mid 90s, I think. And at Buka, they, they free dive for everything. They can free dive to like 100 feet. It's pretty remarkable, right? And this guy is out there, this local, and he's free diving for, I think, sea cucumbers or something like that. And he sees this aircraft. He sees this wreckage, and it's right in the spot, for the most part, that the boy said it would be in all those years later. Only this time, it's, it's, it's covered in some coral, and it's, it's there. You can make out certain characteristics, but it's covered in some coral. And they don't, you know, they don't know kind of how it got there, right? So you fast forward to Bill Snavely. He gets there. He's around that area doing some sightseeing and he's he's looking for Earhart's plane, right? And he happens to just tell a couple of locals there that he's looking for Earhart's plane. And they take him to somebody who says, oh, I know where there's an aircraft. We don't know where it came from. We don't know the origin of it, but I know where it's at. You know, what are you looking for? He tells him a little bit about what he's looking for. He gives him some characteristics and he says, I will you know, I'll reach out to you in a month or so and let you know, you know, what happens, you know, what we find. Okay. So he doesn't think anything of it. He goes back home. They email him a while, you know, down the line, he gets an email and he goes, Oh yeah. You know, uh, we checked out that aircraft and I think he'd given them like eight or 10 different characters, maybe five characteristics. I don't remember at this point, uh, multiple characteristics. He goes, yeah, how many of them, you know, how close are we? And he goes, all of them, they all match. Okay. So he, he sits up and he's like, okay, this is something's weird here. Right. So he doesn't know at this point, even if they're just sort of pulling his leg, egging him on, you know, he still does. So he's very cautious and he goes forward, very cautious. And he works on it for like 13 or 14 years. He writes a book called tracking Amelia Earhart, her flight path to the end. Uh, a good friend of mine, Doug Westfall released it, uh, Paragon agency. That's where you can go get it. And uh, he talks about this story and tells his whole story. And there's some really, really kind of interesting stuff in it but he's got this aircraft and they've gone out there since then project blue angel a couple of times i've seen some of the underwater rov video it's stunning it's really beautiful Uh, but the problem they're facing is that this thing has since really degraded quality wise and it's wrapped in basically you're looking at basically the ghost of an airframe it's wrapped in a coral shell that's about three to four feet thick in a lot of areas it's really you can barely tell it's an aircraft but the people who have been down there professionally all say without a doubt it's it's thousand percent it's an aircraft and it's there it's twin engine it's twin tailed we've confirmed it's not a military aircraft you know, there's a lot of you could make a lot of use cases for there being a military aircraft or it being a Japanese zero or something like that. He's walked all of that back before he even brought Earhart into the picture. He basically kind of reverse engineered this idea and said, it's not Earhart. It's not Earhart. It's not Earhart. What else could it be? And he is basically ruled out everything he can other than it being not just a plane, but the plane. So the story I've just told you. Is it true? We don't know, but they're going out there to try to determine whether or not that's, you know, that's it. And if it's it, it's checkmate. I mean, it's, it's obviously over at that point and he's got the aircraft there. Now he could, this thing could take a really crazy twist and they could discover that it is a Lockheed Electra 10E, but it's not her Lockheed Electra 10E. And if that happens, then we you could tie the whole idea back to them being a spy and there being multiple planes and this whole thing being more nefarious than it actually was and again that's like a whole other conversation so this is all just like real tip of the iceberg stuff uh but that that is buka and that's that's theory number 4 wow that so now you go. that's
0: now that's fascinating because it 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 says to me that it, even if we don't have the technology now Necessarily to prove, you know, or run whatever sort of testing that we might need to run. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, as soon as you mentioned, you know, the the degradation of the plane, it immediately made me think of the frustration of uh, shipwrecks in in yeah. the ocean versus like the Great Lakes, where salt water just, you know, th- these things deteriorate over time. Just so eats like, it up. time is yeah. of the essence. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's sad, and you know, if you read through the book or if you listen to the show. You know, we talked to people that were down there and, uh, you know, these are people that are very uh, highly respected. You know, they went down there, uh, donated their time. They're on a shoestring budget. They're trying to determine, Hey, is, is there a cause enough here for alarm? Snavely even himself has said, look, all day, all day, all day, I'll say it's consistent with the plane she flew, but I I can't tell you that it's hers. I'm not going to tell you that. And he goes, what I love about Snavely's approach is it's fresh. You know, he says repeatedly you know, if I'm wrong, I'll happily admit that I'm wrong. If if, it, if they pull that plane out of the water off the coast of Howland Island tomorrow, I'll happily shake their hand and say, hey, I was wrong. Um, but, you know, he's not wrong yet. And I think and that's the that's the elephant in the room that nobody mentions. You have to go out there and deal with it. They did this documentary with Bob Ballard, uh, Nat Geo. They pulled out all the stops, gorgeously shot documentary they did a few weeks or a few years ago. You know, he went out to Nicomaroro and then he went on this sort of this tour after and said, look, I know where it's not. It's not here. We would have found it. You could easily take those resources out to Buka and knock this out real quick. And you could also do that with a couple of other spots uh, all over the world for some really interesting theory. And since nobody's brought anything to the table that's, you know, definitive yet. And all we have is what we had on July 3rd, 1937. Why not? All of it should be. Uh, you know, all of it should be looked at all of it. It should be inclusive, all of it. And, um, that's sort of the one area that people will argue with me on and they're wrong. I mean, it, it really, really needs to be inclusive at this point. Um, you know, 85 years and we've got nothing. So there it is. unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. So any other, any other theories that you want to, uh, to, to mention, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's we could go we could go all night. I mean, I I won't talk too much uh, too much about it. There's there's other theories. There's an idea that she was repatriated back to the United States. That's a really juicy one. That's a really fun one. Uh, I'll just sort of dangle that one out there for your listeners and they can go <laughs> uh Google search Amelia Earhart, Irene Bolum. You're welcome. Have fun with that one. That is an insane, fun, exciting, crazy theory. And I I eat it up. I love it. I think that's where we started. I thought that was the most fun. Uh, you know, let's go with the most far fetched. Okay, let's start there. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of really great people that did a lot of great work on that and are continuing to do a lot of great work on that. So check that out. And yeah, there's, there's, there's like maybe honestly like a half a dozen more. I can tell you that before the year is out, another theory will take a giant step into the spotlight that will come out of nowhere that has been around for a long time that we have not even mentioned tonight. And I'll just leave that there for people to sort of like discover that. And hopefully before the end of the year, you'll get something really cool. That's awesome. I love that.
0: Yeah. No, I love the Irene theory. I I remember listening to that episode and and what was intriguing about that one and and really fun about it it's almost as if it, it, even if it wasn't even if she mm-hmm. was not uh Amelia Earhart. I believe if I remember correctly they were like okay all right then take a DNA test and she's like no. <laughs> yeah.
1: You can yeah. prove them wrong right now. And you're like, right. yeah, I'm just going to let that one sit. <laughs> yeah, we discussed that, too, on the show. Jen's got some strong opinions on that. And I, and I, I definitely agree with a lot of what she talks about. Does that mean she was Earhart? Absolutely not. It could mean she was a very private citizen and very much so valued her privacy. Uh, and yeah. that's really all it could have been. But it is interesting, the timing of that decision. Uh, they They settle out of court. Uh, almost ceremoniously. And this is, this is McGraw Hill. This is a book that was published on a massive platform. If you guys look up McGraw Hill now, it's still one of the biggest publishers in the world. You know, they went to bat on this and they, she got what she wanted. Ultimately at the end, she got the book pulled. She got her name cleared. Eh, maybe, uh, you know, her name is sort of associated with this really crazy idea. And this really the, the funnest part of the whole story, but, you know, yeah. Was it just because she didn't want to reveal that she actually was full of shit and was Earhart the whole time? <laughs> maybe. I mean, you know, maybe sure. Uh, if not, it could have been, you know, she was married to a, f- a retired MI6 or a former MI6 agent. You know, she probably, she might've been in bed with some government secrets that had nothing to do with Amelia Earhart and, you know, giving her prints would have revealed that part of her life. And it really just is, a has nothing to do with Earhart. she was right all along. So, You know, I'm down for either one. You know, you look at the evidence and you tell me was Irene Bolum, Amelia Earhart, uh, were they one in the same? Were they in on a spy mission together? Was Earhart never the spy? Was Earhart the decoy? And and was she involved? You know, you could go all kinds of different ways with it. And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. The case is a lot of fun to go into. And when you consider what we talked about in the first half of this show, building up sort of who this woman was at the time she disappeared. You know, it becomes even more. This is not D.B. Cooper. This is not Jack the Ripper. This is, you know, this is a woman who is an icon. Uh, There's an Amelia Earhart day at NASA. There's a reason for that. You know, there's she was her statue was just unveiled at the Capitol. It's this, you know, from Atchison, Kansas, and they did a wonderful job with that. Uh, There's a reason why I say this in every podcast I ever do. But there's a reason why little girls and boys, uh, children of all ages will write to her house where she grew up in atchison kansas every day there's current letters that show up every day that's power you can't buy it just that's amazing she's she's got an iconic image and she's still reaching uh, her reach is arguably one of the biggest ever and it's still reaching out to people now which is pretty you know freaking amazing when you think about you know why we how we don't know how she ended And, and, and I haven't really talked about it. I usually do, but Fred Noonan, you know, the navigate her celestial navigator on that flight, there was a second person on that flight and he was the guy you'd want to have on board a flight like that. He was the best in the world. This is the guy that literally wrote the book for Pan Am. So, you know, he wasn't any, you know, it was old hat for him. This was just, okay, another job. And he respected Earhart and they might've fought and they might've had issues, but they respected each other's talents and abilities at the end of the day. And he could have stayed uh, off the flight when everybody else exited, but he kept on with her. And if they died in Japanese custody, he met a particularly gruesome death himself, depending on who you believe in that theory. So I would say that Fred Noonan and Earhart, you know, they're icons. Uh, Are they maybe the first casualties of world war two? That's a possibility. If that's discovered, should they be honored as such? Absolutely. They should be, Uh, you know, so you could take this story anywhere you want. It really is a choose-your-own-adventure story. It's got something for everybody. And you can get into this, and you can be inspired, and you can be frustrated, and you can be excited, and you can be all these different things. And I think a lot of cases out there, uh, like D.B. Cooper and Jack the Ripper and all this stuff, you know, they have that same kind of appeal for the audience that, they're, that are involved in those cases. But I think Earhart goes beyond I think there's, you got DB Cooper and you got all this different stuff. And then you've got Earhart that's above it. I think if this plane is found tomorrow, and again, I say this all the time, but it's true. It's the Holy grail. It really is the Holy grail. If it was discovered tomorrow, it would be bigger than the Titanic. It would be bigger, all that stuff with than all that stuff, because it's the biggest question mark in U S history. Certainly. In my opinion, that might be a bold statement, but it's eh, you know you got JFK and you got, you know, some other yeah. bunch of other stuff. I, I acknowledge all that, but I'm saying that like this is this is really coup de gras here with Earhart. This would be a big one if we found out what happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I think I think there is space to to hold hold both things at the same time. Uh, the the just intrigue of the mystery of what happened to her and also acknowledge the fact that without her aviation in general wouldn't be where it is and it certainly Mm -hmm. um she propelled you know uh women in aviation on a level that probably would not have happened had she not existed so you know there's you you don't want the one to overshadow the other um Mm. specifically her accomplishments you don't want to be overshadowed necessarily by the tragedy that is her disappearance
1: but um but i I think you, you have to kind of hold both you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Well said. Very true. It's it's uh, the legacy and the disappearance. I, I always say it: legacy over everything. Absolutely, it trumps everything. The legacy is what's important here. The disappearance keeps her relevant, keeps her in the news. Sure, that's it's exciting. There's a whole other side to it, but you know, people really should be focusing on the kind of woman she was and the legacy that she left. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable and it's one of those stories that will stand the test of time. I think Earhart and Noonan, you know, their story and their legacies respectively stand the test of time. And, and, you know, what I do and so many other people do on this case, uh, is really proof of that, I think. And, you know, it'll, it'll be one of those stories as long as there's a question mark at the end of that sentence and not a period, it will always be a story that people will talk about, um we'll be destined to do, to do this forever. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming. This is
0: fascinating. Um, I got to get you to come back on. We got to talk about John Wilkes booth. You, you <laughs> got my attention. Now, yeah. That's a fascinating one. That, not a lot of people know that one, the, the kind of the mystery, uh, you know, at the, at the end of, you know, maybe of his life, maybe.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. It's wild. I'm sure, I'm sure Jen Taylor, if you're listening to this, she would love to come on And talk about that. That was such a fun experience. And it's really like the crux, the meat potatoes of the show. I bring this really crazy ass conspiracy theory, uh, you know, to Jennifer's lap essentially. And she has to deal with deal with it and respond. And I think she did (laughs) an amazing job in that series with Dave Taylor, who is now her husband, uh, which is really awesome. Uh, You know, they did a fantastic job of defending history as it's written. And um, that's just one of the cases we cover uh, for the show. D.B. Cooper is was a big one. Jen wasn't involved in that one. She was super busy at the time. So I did that one on my own. And that's my second book that's coming out uh, in just over a couple of months on Thanksgiving Eve. Again, I love anniversaries. So,
0: yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So So, D.B. Cooper. So, so go out and get the, the, the current book, Rabbit Hole, The Vanishing of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. Yes. Uh, also check out the podcast, Vanished. Uh, it's excellent and goes into way more detail, so go check it out. Uh, for the listeners out there, where can they stay up on top of what you're up to and, and uh, um, yeah, get a copy of the new book even?
1: Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. Into the rabbit hole.net is where you can go to get the book if you want a signed copy if or just a regular copy. I don't have to sign it, but you can also get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well. We're, I'm really pushing to try to get it into brick and mortar stores. Uh, especially indies. I really love independent bookstores. And then we're also working on the Kindle version for people who wonder about that. Not yet. Uh, the book is 800 plus pages in print. So it's going to be a huge, you know, Kindle book. We're working on formatting. And then uh, you can get us at vanishedshow.com. And we're on every major podcast platform. Season three uh, with our first uh, episode in our Judge uh, Crater series just kicked off a couple of nights ago, as I as I mentioned at the top of the show. And uh, you can also look for Chasing Earhart. We just returned uh, last night uh, and uh, we have a, a new maybe six pack or 10 pack episodes on Chasing Earhart. That's going to be really spectacular that are coming out. So all of this is sort of unfolding. And of course, the uh, the the new book is called Take the Money and Run, The Vanishing of D.B. Cooper. And that will be out on Thanksgiving Eve, too, in, in the same places. So, yeah. A lot on that. the plate. I can't
0: can't can't wait yeah i'm excited to listen to the new episodes um like i said the the detail in it is is the history nerd in me gets very very excited about that because i love (laughs) i love going down the rabbit hole and getting into the the weeds so i i uh, I love it yeah me too (laughs) me too well thanks so much uh definitely have to have you back on and uh we'll we'll talk some more about some of the other uh fascinating uh mysteries out there anytime
1: fellow williamson i appreciate this thanks john (laughs) thanks a lot
0: What happened to Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan on the final leg of their flight? Was Amelia an undercover spy for the government? Did the plane just run out of gas and crash into the ocean? Were they able to land on another island? Historians and amateur detectives have searched for answers for decades, and one of the most famous mysteries of all time. What happened to Amelia Earhart? Hopefully, there's a discovery out there waiting to be made to finally answer this question once and for all. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like this episode or any of the prior episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review. And please tell a friend. And we'll be back next week with an all-new mystery. Thanks for listening to From the Void.